What do you really have in life? If we spend some time looking around ourselves and evaluating what is most important, what really is most important? You see, in life so often we are fixated on petty things, things which pretend to be elephants but in fact are quite small. And we get so fixated on these things to the point that we do not appreciate the things which truly bring us meaning. You know, when we look around our world right now, we do find a world which is totally robbed of meaning. Our young people don't really know how to find meaning, so they go to all of these kind of half horseshoe put together things which are really just idolatry rebranded under all sorts of different names, and people are left in really a terrible position where they're being consumed by a lot of evil. But God doesn't want us to live this way. You know, the world wants us to find meaning in petty things like politics, fame, and progress, but God knows better. God knows that it is the righteous love for our family and neighbors that bring us far greater meaning than any of the offerings of the material world. You know, God knows that out of service to Him, no one can ever really find lasting meaning. But when we do find joy in the Lord and we find that His joy is our strength, we can find that in service to God, we can discover lasting meaning by taking responsibility among our own families and our neighbors. And that really is the call of the kingdom of God. You know, so often people wonder what the purpose of life is, and even within the church you find people asking kind of banal questions of, well, what is the point of Christianity? Well, we're to go out and seek and save the lost. We're to liberate people with the law of liberty, to find joy, to realize that this material world around us, our bodies and these things that we have, you know, we're not meant to be here for long, and our bodies, they're not the full reality of our own existence. There's much more to that. And when we set our eyes on things above, we do find a great liberty that comes from God and we find great meaning and purpose in life. But that does take some investigation. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor here at Kingdom of the Logos, and this is going to be a study in Nehemiah chapter 11. And now this is a continuation in our study of Nehemiah that we've had so far, and we'll be picking up really taking the book towards its end, and we see how Nehemiah, he's gone through so many great steps of revival and restoration, but he wants to see things through to the end. He doesn't want things to just fall to the wayside. So let's open up in prayer, and then we'll jump right into Nehemiah 11. Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask that you come and be with each and every one who is here. Lord, bless those who are listening to this message, Lord. I pray that you would open up their hearts, their minds. May they find meaning and strength in their life. May they not be torn asunder by the things of this world, but let us look towards you. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we're going to going to read a few verses in Nehemiah chapter 11 while we're together, but I do encourage you in your personal time to read through all the names that are there. These people, they're recorded in scripture for a reason, and we do well to appreciate their names. But for now, for time purposes, we're only going to read a few verses, and they really do concentrate the core of this text. And that's the first three verses, and then we're going to look at verse 20. Nehemiah 11 opens up saying, Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people they had cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in the holy city of Jerusalem. And while nine-tenths remained in the other towns, the people blessed those who were willingly offering to live in Jerusalem. Now wait a second, we just read two verses and there's some interesting things going on here. We know so far from Nehemiah's book that, well, not a lot of people are living in Jerusalem. The whole place has fallen into dereliction and disrepair, and it's kind of the center of attack for a lot of people who hate the people of God. People always hate righteousness. They always hate what is good, true, and beautiful when their hearts are still given over to sin. And we know that there's not a lot of people who really want to live in Jerusalem right now. And we find that Nehemiah, he's trying to bring people back into the city, and yet there's a lot of people who don't want to. In fact, they have to cast lots to get people to step up to the plate. 
And now this is something which is actually a, a, a truth that is across life. This is just basic human behavior. Given the opportunity, it is rare that people will step up to the plate and own up to the situation around them. Most people, given the opportunity, you see, we're not basically good. People are basically sinful. I mean, that's been the truth since Adam and Eve indulged in that first sin. But we, not being basically good, we don't like to rise to the occasion as much as we would pretend that it is so. However, when we have the power of God with us, when the Holy Spirit is with us, and we are looking to serve things higher than ourselves, then people will step up to that task. But what we find here, you know, nine out of ten people would prefer to remain in their hometown, and one-tenth has to draw lots, and there's just a handful of people, and of that number, we don't know for certain how much they are, who are willingly offering to live in Jerusalem. Because it's a risky thing, and it requires a huge responsibility. You're stepping up to the plate. That's what we're talking about today. Stepping up to the plate, finding out what really matters in life, and doing some investigation of our own lives. So let's pick up in verse 3. We only have two more verses I want us to read for now. In verse 3 it says, And the ear, the leaders of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem, but out there in the towns of Judah, all people, they lived on their own property in their own towns. Now, that's fascinating. It's meaning they're not seeking some external um, aid or welfare, people they're making their own way in the sense that they're not trying to be cut off from the rest of the Jewish people, but they are providing to, for themselves. There's some aspiration here where they say, let's be people of prosperity. Let's achieve. Let's be people of excellence. You know, our God is holy and excellent. Therefore, we too should be holy and excellent. You know, that is something which brings people meaning to have something that they can take joy in, that they can have nobility in their hearts and say, well, you know, we went out and we did this hard labor. We have our crops. We have our homes that we built. We have the walls that hold our towns together. We have our structures, our wells. They can take great joy and have nobility in their hearts as they have achieved great things, not because they're just trying to create a tower of Babel or do something idolatrous, but instead they looked at God and they said, hey, he is holy and awesome. Therefore, we should be holy and awesome too. You know, we weren't created in the image of God despite his image and do pitiful and weak little things, but instead we were created in his image to do awesome and amazing things. And that's what real humility is. We'll get to that in a second. But let's read verse 20. In verse 20 it says, And the rest of the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and those who were in the towns of Judah, they themselves lived on their inheritance. Which again goes back to what we were saying in that verse 3. We once again find that there are people who are taking what has come through their family lines, their traditions, their ancestry, and they're making good on that in the moment and they're doing something meaningful with it. So let me touch on humility real quick, just for a second while we are here. Humility is something which is required of us if we want to find meaning. And doing so in the moments when it's risky in life, um, trying to find meaning in those moments when there's a lot of things coming to attack you, that can be difficult because a lot of times people kind of just want to lock down and find what is, you know, the, the familiar and the comfortable. But when we are truly humble, and true humility is not to be considered weak, true humility is not the same thing as this um, perpetual posture of inactivity, but real humi humility is acknowledging your true place in the order of creation. And once you have acknowledged your true place in the order of creation, then you are free to move upwards with God. You see, a good example of real humility um, can be illustrated by giving the opposite of real humility. Um, imagine with me for a moment that you're a 20-foot tall giant, and your satisfaction in life can only be fulfilled if others will you know, acknowledge that you're a 20-foot tall giant. Now, 
If you were convinced and convicted that you needed to be affirmed as a 20-foot-tall giant, then you would step outside and you would run into a problem. Uh, nothing in the world would be small, and you know there'd be a lot of evidence around you that you're not really a 20-foot-tall giant. And in order to sustain this conviction, you would have to demand that all other people were shrunk, all buildings and structures were scaled down, and that the members of the plant and animal kingdoms were reduced in proportion to accommodate your fantasy. Even the mountains would have to be sheared. Now, this task of shortening and scaling everything would end up driving you mad. And quite honestly, it would. It would drive you mad. Um, because anytime you found something that was not scaled down, that was unshrunk, the fantasy would be blown down. And that's just how it would be. Now, as strange as this sort of fantasy sounds, this is the exact sort of oddity encouraged by both our modern world and false sense of humility. Because just as it is irrational and insane to insist that you are a 20-foot-tall giant and make the whole world shrink around you, humility is walking outside and recognizing that I'm not a 20-foot-tall giant, but instead I am you know, a man born a sinner and a fool, but by the grace of God I have been saved and made wise. And it's time to climb the highest mountains. You see, real humility doesn't charge you to be idle, passive, or weak. Rather, it calls us to be honest about our starting point and then move upwards. To put in the hard labor of fighting the good fight, of standing up for what is good and true, fighting for all that is of God and is godly. And this is what we are called to do. To put in the hard labor of fighting the good fight. You see, humility, it binds us to reality, where we recognize our true scale in the world around us. And that's a good thing, that's a liberating thing, because then we are free to move forwards and move upwards. So back to our titular question for this program. What do you really have in life? You know, so often we are fixated on petty things, things which pretend to be elephants, and we do this to the point that we do not appreciate the things which truly bring us meaning. Now, the world wants us to find meaning in the petty things, like politics, fame, progress, you know, but God knows much better. God knows that it is through righteous love for our family and neighbors that bring far greater meaning than any offerings of the material world. It is out of our service to God that we can discover lasting meaning and take when we take responsibility among our families and neighbors. Now, Nehemiah, in his dedicated service to Almighty God, he cast a vision of restoration for his brothers and sisters of the covenant. He led them through revival and restoration. He was fighting the good fight against enemies within and enemies without. And in life, there's a lot of enemies within and enemies without. In fact, a lot of times the worst enemies we have are the ones within. The ones within our own families, our own homes, our own friend circles. These are the things which really bring a lot of personal chaos. Um, though there do come moments and times where you do have enemies who are coming over the walls. Um, we're finding in America that there's a lot of division and things are getting hostile and things are increasingly going in a direction where we do find um, threats on our own territory. But... You know what? God calls us not to find comfort in the things around us, but look for his truths, you know, and we look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is wise. He has his eyes on what is good, true, and beautiful, and he moves forwards accordingly. And Nehemiah, he cast a vision. He led people through revival and restoration, fought the good fight. He entered them into a oath and a curse with God that they might persevere. And it's important to find that, that oath and curse that the people enter into. It's one which kind of binds them to their relationship with God, and they're put in a position where they just can't easily forget that. And all of this certainly is very important, but we nonetheless find that 
there's got to be a little bit more even after that. And not that it negates the things that come before it, but there is a process of continual events which cannot be separated from one another. And they've gotten now to the stage where if they want to keep on this great journey that they've had, and again, there's many destinations on this journey, and yes, the destinations are meaningful. It's not one of these hogwash things where they say, oh, it's the, the, the journey, not the destination that matters. No, there has to be a destination. There has to be a there there. There has to be real truth, a real kingdom, a real God that sits on the throne of heaven. But with these people here, they are making their way in that direction, and they're at a stage now where it becomes onerous for each household to take responsibility. They've done so many things. They've built the wall. They've had restoration. And now they're at a point where they must each take responsibility. If they want to live with enduring meaning, where they can experience nobility in their hearts as they reflect the holiness of God, then they must rise up with righteous heads of households and make good on the various duties. Now, when Jesus teaches us of the parable of the talents, and he illustrated this, we're going to be going to Matthew 25 here in a moment. When Jesus teaches us the parable of the talents, he illustrated how meaning and joy are earned. Again, they're not just something which are, are given to you as a participation trony, but meaning and joy, they are earned by the servants, the slaves, who tested themselves in increasing the talents entrusted to them. Matthew 25, 19 through 21 reads, After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter now into the joy of your master. You know, God wants us to do something with the gifts we have been given, and this requires us to step up to the moment in which we live. Those who covet their neighbor's talents, you know, when we, we do this, um, we, we look at what other people have, we try to compare our lives, and you know, this covetousness creeps in. And covetousness takes a lot of form. Sometimes we think that we were robbed of something altogether in life. We think that there are opportunities or satisfactions we were supposed to be a, have received by now and we don't have them. So we kind of covet a fantasy of an alternative life that we might have had. You know, covetousness comes in a lot of ways. We feel like the, the world isn't as utopian as we might want it to be, so we covet that, and we want to spitefully lash out at people. Um, you know, these things are very popular in our society, and other times we find that when it comes to talents, people, they get cowardly with their talents, they get complacent with their own amount, and they find themselves not fit for the kingdom of God. That is the result of all of those things. Um, they all end by people not being fit for the kingdom of God. Very bad. Nehemiah 11, it is a chapter of people rising to the occasion in their own families and households. And in this, we find men rising as heads of households through sincere adoption of their responsibility. Now, this is something which is necessary for the perseverance of both Jerusalem and Judah in their revival. Furthermore, it is also necessary for true service to God. Nehemiah, he went through great lengths great links to dig up the old family records and track people down. You know, he went into so much detail of how Jerusalem shamefully fell into ruins and there were few people who lived there. We well, went through all this work to find people, to bring them back. And now he was working to see that people will inhabit, support, and defend this chosen city. But despite this fact that it is a noble task to live there and that it is the chosen and holy city of God, the people are really reluctant to do so. In fact, lots have to be drawn in order for people to even accept such a great responsibility. 
And there are a few people who won't voluntarily do this, but Scripture doesn't indicate that that number is very large. Most people have to be kind of forced to through the drawing of lots. But this is where we get to an interesting thing of theology. You know, how do we have to be positioned when we do accept the call of God and move forward? Do we have to really want it with all the correct emotions? Or does God find pleasure when we move towards him despite what our hearts want to do, when we allow our minds, when we allow our souls and bodies to override the, override the impulses and desires we have to move towards what is good and true? You know, God truly is pleased when we step up to the moment in which we live. Even when our hearts desire to surrender to whatever is against us, God is pleased when, when we're you know, marred by the low points of life, we still are intending and motivated to serve Him despite our desires to do otherwise. Whenever we have that victory over the heart, that is really where wisdom comes in. You know, often I define wisdom as part of my sermons. You know, whenever the heart which often wins when it's battled against the, the brain. Whenever the mind and the heart get together and the heart finds that it is lost, you know, because the mind, the, the logical side of the body has won, the desires have been conquered, that is when we find wisdom. And God desires us to have this wisdom. So we look at Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the target of many of the enemies of the people of God. The likes of Sambalot and Tobiah, they are not just going to give up and let Nehemiah's Jerusalem prosper. You know, it's not easy to step up to the plate and take responsibility to fight for what is good. And there will be enemies who fight against you, both from within and without. But we must, despite our uncertainty, move forward in serving God. And in doing so, we will be doing the good work that actually pulls the world away from chaos. Now, the world will fight back. There will be many times when we do not feel the product of our labor, but nonetheless, we must persevere, and God himself commands it. There is meaning in serving him, especially in the family setting. Let us never forget this truth. People, people often have to be coaxed to do what is best, and this is even true here in Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in his memoir, he illustrates how rare it is that people will volunteer for duty. Similarly, people often have to take time to see what matters most in life. And when we, we consider that question posed at the beginning of this program, what really do you have? What matters most to you in life? We do have to spend some time investigating that. You know, what do you think gives you meaning in life? That's, that's the question I want you to be thinking about while we go through all this. Oftentimes, we overlook the precious gifts we have. We focus on the gifts we wish we had, and we forget what we actually have. We don't spend the time investing in our lives to find gratitude, and that is such a shame. You see, we're all sinners and fools without God, and people will choose foolish things and be complacent. Yet, by the power and grace of Christ, we can all be transformed by the renewing of our minds, where we are freed from the wiles of the world, and we can clearly see what matters most. And today, we look around our world, and our young men and young women, they are afflicted with an inability to find meaning. They are told that if they want to have meaning in life, then they need to reject family life and all work that involves, you know, working with your hands. And, you know, these things, working with your hands, family life, they've been deemed backwards, primitive, you know, labors of, of suppression. And they're, they're just things for the unintelligent and uninspired people, which is such, such a shame. And it's been truly a clever trick of deception to make people hate the very things that are most valuable in life and to have them pine for things that will bring them misery. 
Rather than pursuing what matters most, people are taught to live by celebrity ideals, to seek validation of politicians, and to join up with the next social movement bent on utopia, or at least the one bent on tearing down the current system. Yet when we look at all the people who are wrapped up in such affairs, they are marked by an overwhelming misery. The people teaching such ideas, they can't even hold their own homes together, and so they decide that they will find meaning in refashioning the world. Thus, they are feeding poison to our upcoming generations and numbing our minds to the things that matter the most. And here's what matters the most. Your family and your neighbors matter the most. God's been telling you that all along. That's why his commandment says, love me, and then love your neighbor as yourself. There's a reason for this. When we look around us in the here and now, the things that matter the most are our families and our neighbors. Now, of course, that comes after God, but God is eternal. God is something which is not confined to the here and now. When we take a moment to consider what God has been teaching us all along, we do find that this is where meaning is found. And so often, it is so abruptly set before us that we miss it. In the beginning, God gifted man and woman with family life. The family was instituted, even before sin, that they should take to one another in marriage that they would have children and they would endure life with one another. And this love, which is beyond impulsive romance, brings far greater meaning and joy than any celebrity status or social movement, and that's just an immovable fact. It's the design of God. Now, God has given each and every one of us talents, and he's commanded us not to compare our talents to each other, that we might fall into the terrible sin of covetousness. And do not be fooled, covetousness is an enemy of meaning as are cowardice and complacency. These three vices have been encouraged in our modern day and age, and just as Nehemiah stirred his people to rise above them, so we must encourage our people of today to rise above them. Oftentimes, we look at the talents that have been given to us in our lives and respond to our situations in covetousness. We covet the talents that others have, and even the talents that we might have had had our lives gone a different route. You know, we covet the alternative timelines of our own lives in which where we made different choices or we had better people helping us in our youth. You know, it's a sad form of covetousness because it's largely being jealous for things that aren't even real, but imagined things. You know, I've been reading C.S. Lewis's um, screw tape letters, and there's a, a fascinating scenario in that that list of, of letters where there's a man who ends up hell, in hell and he realizes he got there doing neither what he ought nor what he wanted. In other words, he threw away his life. He didn't do what God wanted him to do and he didn't even spend his life doing pleasurable things either. So it wasn't like he, he earned his time in hell by doing things that were fun and enjoyable. He was just miserable all throughout life and still ended up in hell. And, you know, we, we think about that and we think about how in our life um, people might throw their lives away because they wish for something that's imaginary. You think about a lot of the vices that are really just imaginary fantasies, things like pornography. They're, they're fantasies that people allow to come into their life and corrupt them. These utopian ideologies where there'll be you know, no disparities between persons and people groups, where there'll be no suffering in the world. These things are fantasies that people throw away good things in pursuit of. They, they destroy their souls in pursuit of something which isn't even real. How sad is that? You know, I'm not here to, to say that sin is, is ever good, but, you know, some people at least are going to throw away their life for 
for a sin that's actually, you know, attached to some reality as opposed to just the fantasy ones, which equally destroy the soul. Um, it's sad, 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 sad. Sin is always bad. That's why we have to turn our hearts towards God. You know, the sad thing about covetousness, cowardice, all of these things, they really do come to blind us. You know, do you really know how many talents your neighbor has? Probably not. Do you really know how much better your life may have been had you had things go differently in the past? Probably not. They may have been much worse. Regardless, God tells us not to pine for a time machine, but to instead make good on where we are, to repent and to move forwards. And cowardice and complacency, they they do something which is also quite interesting too, because they too are, you know, enemies of meaning. They hold people back from stepping up to what is good and true, even when they know better. Many people in our own world today have thrown away the liberating truths of the church because they do not want to offend people. And how sad. How sad to throw away what is good in life because you are worried that somebody might not like hearing it. You know, no one really likes to hear that they are a sinner and need to turn towards God. But God expects us to work in our lives towards something higher. Meaning is found when we rise to the occasion of the talent we have, taking initiative to love and provide for our family and neighbors and to be responsible in all that we have been entrusted with by God. And in order for us to maintain a noble society, we have to have people, people in each family and household, who are willing to step up to the plate, men willing to be men, women willing to be women, and men willing to be righteous fathers and brothers, women being willing to be righteous mothers and sisters, who are all effective preachers, ministers of the gospel, doing great and wonderful things. You know, It is rare that people want to live up to the moment, but God calls us to great heights. 1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 16 reads, Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance, but instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all of your conduct, for it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. There is meaning in loving your family and your neighbors. And we must love people enough to pull them back to the truth. In closing, you know, Nehemiah, he led a revival for his people, but Christ led the ultimate revival. Christ's work on the cross is sufficient to cover all of our sins. We are freed, no longer miserable sinners, but we are now able to walk in the law of liberty as we shine the light of truth to the world around us. Let us not forget what matters most, and do not be shy about defending all that is good and of God. Take joy and have nobility in your heart, and do the great work which you have been called. Do things with your hands. And take joy in it. Have nobility in your heart. When you have good in your family and in the situations around you, go to God with gratitude. And when you feel like there's nothing good there, spend some time investigating to find out there might be more than you think. Take joy when you find meaning in the things which God has told us do, in fact, bring meaning. And let us rise up as righteous men and women who preach the gospel of Christ Jesus. So on that, let us close by saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. And on that note, God love you, and have a blessed day.